This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined today for On Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How are you today? I'm going very well. How is your afternoon going? It's, um, it's a stunner, actually. We had awesome rain last night. Off to Onipu for round two of biking. Hopefully nothing breaks today. And um, the sky's blue and there's nothing to complain about in the world. He's back on the bike. He's all right. Yep, he is back on the bike, bruised and lots of war wounds and lots to show off. But he's excited to ride and that's the main thing, eh? Is the bike all right? (laughs) One broken uh, reflector, that's all. And we are joined today from Opaho, I think, by... Simon Noble. Good morning. Good morning. Simon, how has your bubble life been? Um, bubble life has actually been extraordinarily good. I, I think a lot of, like a lot of people, we have found it warm and patient and slow and, and they're just kind of a lovely in, within the house and within the neighbourhood. So how many people did you have it at home? We had three. So there was myself, my wife, Claire, and our daughter, Zoe, who is 22. I thought she was off exploring somewhere. No, the other daughter's um, more the explorer one. Probably doesn't have the patience to have spent all those weeks at home with us. <laughs> she was over. <laughs> yeah, we're not sure how it would have gone with her here. Um, she is the one off exploring. She was in and around Wanaka um, waiting for the ski season to start. And at, at which time, of course, it was a complete unknown whether there'd be one and who could travel and even if New Zealanders could come. Um, so, so the other daughter was in Wanaka. So you're a pretty outdoorsy sort of person yourself. Did you manage to to get out and, and but stay within the, the rules and the guidelines? Um, yeah, we did. It was interesting at the very start. There was some uncertainty and a little bit of um, a lack of clarity, especially for people who bike a lot like me, because the distance thing with a bike is pretty quickly gets outside your that sort of the 5k limit that sits in Victoria at the moment, for instance. Yeah, no, I was pretty compliant and um, did manage to get out. I think I was actually riding um, the same track that the then Minister of Health was riding on the same day he was riding it and sort of feeling a little uncomfortable at that stage that maybe, you know, even just going up, that was perhaps not in the spirit. 
Um, but I settled down to uh, eventually just um, a lot more walking, and I made my rule that I wouldn't. I would go up hills around the city, but never over the other side because it somehow felt if I was in another catchment um, and had an issue, I wouldn't be able to get back so easily. So, were you working? Yeah, I had a. Yeah, I was. I had a. I had a project on that I had done the field work for in early March uh, near um, Thames and Hamilton, a cycling project. And I brought that back here and it was sort of an ideal thing to have the report to write up through lockdown. But I somehow managed to basically not do any of that at all <laughs> in the actual lockdown phase because of just how, um, how warm and engaging and lovely it was just being at home, not working. Yeah, it was crazy, really. I had the, almost the perfect setup and managed not to actually um, do the thing that I could have sat there and quite happily done. I was a little bit lucky. Um, I rode my bike from East Cape in the North Island across to Cape um, Egmont in the North Island over the 10 days at the end of February and then did that field work and then came home and actually then went to Bluff to pick up my brother-in-law at the end of another bike ride the day before the wedding in Bluff, which of course had caused such a large cluster. So all of this stuff kind of happened at once. I got really, really fit and then had to stop the long rides. Um, so yeah, I, I did have a piece of work to do, but I <laughs> there were better things to do, like nothing. <laughs> you, I wonder if it... It makes me think that maybe we're doing maybe we're doing it wrong. We have these holidays every year, and we rush around like crazy things. We've all actually really appreciated that time in March and April of not doing things. Yes, I totally agree. And and included in that is that as soon as we have these holidays, we have to go somewhere else. Um, it always has to be about somewhere else. And yes, often at a rush and at great expense and. Um, it's it has a lot to commend it, but it's also somewhat problematic. And learning, literally learning, to take pleasure from smaller things at home and closer to home, I, th I think is it is a, something humanity, especially in the West, we must make this adaptation. Um, and it's what we all practiced, and we we just don't realise we did. And. Your work is about the work you're talking about in Hamilton is developing a cycle track. Is that a mountain bike track? Yeah, yeah. It's um, I suppose I wouldn't really call it mountain biking. What it was was um, what I think I called an I call an experience audit, whereby I um, it's an analysis of an existing visitor experience, and um, the more I do then the more I realise how rich and deep visitor experiences are and how many things inform them and how critical it is to get the little things right so that people are liberated from the worry of what's coming next and, uh, start to, and trust the experience will deliver what they thought it would deliver and, and therefore have that a more engaging time. So that's what I was doing and experience audit on the Hauraki Rail Trail, which is one of the great rides. And did you get the report written? Oh, it's, writ it's written now. Um, <laughs> it did take me a while. It's amazing. How, uh, the field work was all 
I had the field work done, as I say, I'd filed all the photographs, had a structure for the document, and um, it didn't matter that I didn't do it in the however many weeks it, critical lockdown. Yeah, it's done now. It's the second one I've done. I did one on uh, one of the other great rides last year, which was which was at the much tougher end of the scale. Yeah, very satisfying work. I mean, it includes things like it's um oh, I think about it would have been about August. I discovered websites that were still saying that this experience I was looking at was closed because of um, level four lockdown. This is in August, and the, you know the client's not aware of this, but some visitors might be stumbling upon that website, thinking, "Oh, we're going to go and do the Hauraki Rail Trail," and then they stumble on a website that says it's closed. And you can imagine actually how that might be a little bit create a little bit of stress for somebody who maybe is a little bit nervous about the biking, but maybe is also a little bit nervous about COVID nineteen. And then they find this official website. It was a government website that says the thing's closed, and we're still in level four. You know, so. That's that's part of what I do in my work is discovering those um, breakdowns. Let's take the first of your music choices, and it would be good if I could read that my own writing. Echo, Echo, and the Bunny Man, Ocean Rain. Why yeah. this one? Well, well, my parents are from Liverpool, and Liverpool. I mean, you'll know, Sam. Actually, Liverpool's a city which is going into lockdown, or kind of a lockdown now as we. Speak as we speak Liverpool's a very um rich interesting city with a you know a really deep history the slavery thing the Beatles the football which is one of the big drivers for me but also the the hard graft and the migration and so, and so Echo and the Bunny Men are from there and so it, it just pulled to me and it's just I like songs that are very um, moving and make you ask questions about as to what they mean and, and maybe you're even a little bit challenging so that's why that I chose this song Oh see again now my hurricanes brought down this ocean rain to be me again My ship's a sail Can you hear its tender frame Screaming from beneath the waves Screaming from beneath the waves All hands on Deckard dawn Sailing to Sadder shores Your port In my heavy storms Harbors the Blackest thoughts Now your hurricane brought down this ocean rain to be me again. 
Under-19 World Cup that came to Dunedin and several other places around the country. Yes, I was. Um, what was the? Uh, it was under. It was under it was twenty, under, was it? Oh, yeah, it was. Maybe uh, it was under, under 20, twenty. I think. Oh, it's on my wall. Here it is. Here. Um, yes, under twenty World Cup in twenty fifteen. As part of the deal of that, we, the city got a, some new playing fields. We did. We got. Actually, it's an interesting process. I had not been involved before. It, I think I might say something like, at least twelve months before the event, which was in winter, twenty fifteen, um, FIFA 
essentially pays the host cities to throw enormous amounts of fertilizer into three or four or training grounds and grounds as well as the main ground. So yeah, we, we didn't quite get new grounds, but they they get severely um, you know fertilized and analyzed and measured and so on and so on and so on. So a major upgrade of some of the grounds happened. There probably some of the momentum of that tournament did lead to the, the construction of the new artificial surface that we have now down by the main stadium. But I, actually, ironically, Sam, the the moment the World Cup finished, um, two of the four fields that were used for practice went three went back to rugby. Well, I think it's a don't tell anyone on FIFA that it's a classic <laughs> Kiwi story. Yeah, oh, that was good. We'll have Rugby back now. Put the big posts back in. What was your involvement yeah. for, in Otago? I had what I think was a fabulous role for me. My, the job was called operations coordinator. So um, before the tournament, it had a lot to do with making sure that everything that was required on the site, um, like furniture, um, signage, and all sorts of other things and processes and procedures, everything had been inventoried and analysed and everything was in place. Very, very fussy level of specification and right down to, you know, each team is allowed to have so many kilograms of ice provided at, you know, before a game, at half-time and at the end. So pretty detailed, fussy planning. And then on game days, I had the very lucky task of sitting in the control room with the the police and the venue security and the venue owner um, looking out over the game and coordinating all the crazy requests that came in for, you know, turning, kicking people out or moving things out of fire exits. You know, it, quite a neat job and um, so, sort of overseeing the entire operation while the games were on. And it was pretty neat, actually. It's pretty cool that we're in a position where we could host those sorts of things again even if we can't get the people into the country but we're not going to have any visiting people for the next year or so which means that this summer is going to be the the summer of New Zealand tourism yeah it's going to be it's been fascinating enough um and Sometimes I just think, actually, haven't we just swung through, haven't we pulled through this quite well? And aren't we, in fact, testing some different economic models already and actually turning out to work not so bad? It's going to be, it is going to be an interesting and fascinating time. Already on our trips since COVID, we've, they've been different because of the prices of things, the availability of things, the type of people who are out doing them um and it's, i can't hold, hold my breath a bit as to whether it will go on i mean the wage subsidy is now finished and we're, people are a little bit more standing on their own two feet but it actually feels to me like it's just going to carry on we've talked before about the, the the national parks and the how how some of the the walks are almost sacrificial that the, the people have you know funneled to those sorts of places because that's the experience that they want and, and leaves the rest of the park perhaps to not have those sorts of pressures. Do you think that the the, the national parks, the, the, the natural areas, are going to get a bit of a chance to recover? Um, 
I no, I don't know if I see there being um, a hell of a lot of change in the in the way the people. You know, I think one set of people will be replaced by another set of people. It's very clear the Great Walks have booked out with must be close to one hundred percent New Zealanders, pretty much immediately and in, instantly as soon as they're open, they're booking out. Um, we were in West West on the West Coast last week, um, and it was it was a it was a kind of a tale of two parks actually, Sam. Up at Paparoa or Punakaiki, Paparoa National Park where Punakaiki is, where the new Paparoa track is. That place is just going off with um, bikes and happy people and buzzy businesses. Um, and the new track is it's very clearly having an, an economic and other sorts of Im- impacts, including the building of the track, a reasonably reasonable physical impact. And then after we'd finished, we drove down to um, Westland National Park, so one of the old traditional national parks, and it was the complete opposite. So Franz Joseph Village has been transformed from a tightly tight little village, 500 metres long, into this weird stretch of outer suburbs and funny little, uh, funny little mushroomy of, of you know hotel here and a paddock and then a bit of forest and then another hotel and then a helicopter shed and and it's lost its soul and it's pretty sad. Fox is even worse. Um, it's held together physically, but you, there's no driving. Is essentially you basically park your car on State Highway Six to walk to the glacier now, and you know the glacier is receding just about as fast as the road is receding, and and it's it's deeply affecting um, Westland at the moment on the human side and on the the climate side. The the glaciers are just. I, I, I rode my bike down the west coast actually two years ago, and I could barely I, I could barely look at the mountains. This was in late summer when there's the least snow, you know, and they were just they were just pretty pretty smudgy and grey and horrible. It's a real it's really unfolding down. And one more thing to slightly not slightly off the topic is that a little further south from Fox is a place called Bruce Bay. Where there's, a, I think it's just about the only, it's the, it's the only place for about 50 k's where you come in contact with the coast, and you're only on the coast for about a kilometre. And there's a crazy beach with massive rocks that's always had mm. big surf and been quite spectacular. And some bad erosion happened there in um, the 2018 cyclones, and so they fixed it up. But you know, I mean, I'm not saying there's another way to do this, but they've fixed it up by putting car-sized rocks all along the road. All along the road, so the bank of rocks is higher than you're sitting in your car, so you don't see the coast anymore. <laughs> you know, so it's like we've taken one of the one of the chunks of the experience away, um, and so I think of it like all of the all of the love and the passion and the warmth that people get from their drive down the coast is now sort of two percent is gone. So all of that utility benefit that comes from that people doing that is reduced, and we're going to have to add this up because because it's you know they can't go to the glaciers. Punakaiki's coast has actually got the same boulder line. It's um it's going to it has an effect, you know. So I don't get to work on this stuff. It'd be nice to be able 
I'm not a psych. You know, you need to be a psychologist, but I, I wonder what the effect on the social effect of all of this is going to be. And you've you've been getting out since COVID. You've been getting out. Did you take up one of the camper van deals? <laughs> yeah. Yes, we did. The and this is what I mean about the restructuring of our tourism economy. So you ask yourself, okay, so we got a camper van for. $35 a day, it's normally well over 200 So, you know, is is that sustainable? I mean, it's really clear we would never have paid the 200 a night. What is the price at which a lot of New Zealanders would, but there'd still be some profit in it? And I'm going to say I'd like to see them make a smaller profit. Um, is there a price point at which this could be something that we that is more financially sustainable? Um, because again, it, it was a marvellous experience and it it poured thousands of New Zealanders out into places they hadn't been before to have to get some of those benefits. We we met an Auckland family in the in what they call the what I call the R V centre at Christchurch Airport where everyone goes to sit for half an hour to wait for your you know, your staffer to come along and show you your camper van. And so we were sitting in there with this you know, experienced South Island travellers, blah, 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 sitting this family from Auckland who were on their first trip to the South Island. I was like a, I was like a child in a candy shop, <laughs> walking around talking to people, just trying to listen, just trying to understand their stories and what it meant to them. And you could see, and I'm sometimes jealous of this, that I don't get to go anywhere and have this novelty in New Zealand anymore, which is an interesting thing. So you could see and hear the anticipation and excitement on these in these people that they'd just flown in, they'd got a taxi to the RV centre and they were waiting to pick up their van and, and they were talking, we were talking to them about itineraries and they were saying ridiculous things like, you know, in seven days we can go, <laughs> we can go right, you know, right around the entire South Island and to Milford and to the Catlins and to Queenstown and to Dunedin and da 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 And it was marvellous. So, you know, what price that? And um, can we have some more of that, actually? Yeah, and we, and we had a lovely time ourselves, Sam. It was it was very special. Claire had wanted one with the two back doors that flap open, and she wanted to park it so that the um, it was pointing east, and in the morning we could open the doors and the sun would rise out of the sea in Golden Bay, and it, it did. Um, precisely, it poured into the van <laughs> in exactly yeah. the manner, you, you know, that we wanted. Um, and again, I think back, if you think to all... If you think back, of you try to think of all of the flow of goodness and health and happiness in in society in a in a period of time, then what did they what did that camper van thing inject into New Zealand for this, the last six months? It's not it isn't certainly isn't just it's not just money. Just think of of the goodness that got injected. No, right, there we go. I've never actually said that before. <laughs> And that don't leave to home till you've seen the country. That 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 yeah. feeling of community and place. Yes, yeah, absolutely. There was that communality um, on the road and in and in the car parks and and you know where you went. The other thing we did is um, a lot of the individual tourist activities, of course, were heavily discounted as well. And again, you ask yourself, well, how did they manage to do that, and could they? 
could they do that some more? And we we did one tourist activity where <laughs> the owner said to us, I should have been in, um, I think it was Serbia now or Croatia. It was somewhere in Eastern Europe. I was supposed to be on the beach in Serbia or Croatia with the family at the end of the season, but here right. I am, you know, re-employed the staff and we're um, running this again for a whole lot of Kiwis because I can't go anywhere. And I actually found myself thinking, well, I know this, I mean, people will disagree with this and I'm not sure it's right, but maybe this is where we are moving to as a model whereby you don't run a tourism business and take a holiday to Croatia every year because it's not sustainable and it means it's operated at a price that locals can't afford. And, and maybe we sort of figured out that that's a better model if that's what was happening for them. I mean, who knows, they might be gazillionaires for some other reason or have Croatian family or whatever it was. But it does make you think, what model could we have that might be different? And actually, are we, do we have to go here because of the, because of the, the cost, environmental cost of travel? And you got to fly in a helicopter? Unexpectedly. I didn't get to fly in a helicopter. No, 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 I didn't get to fly in a helicopter, but my, my wife did. She had a little accident on the Paparoa track. Um, it would be on the 5th or so of this month, and so 10 days ago, and, yeah, no, she couldn't wait there the next morning, and um, so we called the rescue helicopter. Um, so they, and they right? came and got her. She's okay. Right? She's um, having the yep. She's having the actual diagnosis. Um, hopefully tomorrow. Um, but no, she's okay. It was a little. It spoiled the trip, so it was a little bit upsetting to start with. We, we on, had. Um, we were on bikes. We were on bikes on the Paparoa track, and wonderful outdoor community. All the people in the hut. Once it became clear that something was not right, and then it became even more clear that helicopter was coming. The, the Office of Help and were just, you know, it's just marvellous. Um, lovely, I would have expected it, and that's what happened. A lovely community of people formed, and one brave soul who's slightly taller than me, and I'm slightly taller than my wife, offered to ride her bike out because the rescue helicopter wasn't going to take it. So with his tramping boots on, he rode her bike out for the last 16 kilometres with his pack on his back, which is, you know, it takes, and that would be a little bit demanding. <laughs> So, yeah, bit of an experience. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi arohanu, kia koutou ko tāhoho. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars. I really hope that wherever you are and whatever is happening around you, this journey that we're all on together, prove it be very rewarding, very sustaining illuminated for you more and more each day who you are triumph of nature's art perfect you need here making things better thank you so as we all know we have been moving through this great time of change and transition all these shifts that are placed around us all over the world and very soon here in Aote Dunedin, indeed the whole of Aotearoa New Zealand, we will be inspiring great change to take together in terms of our election. And of course, as we all know, I have reclaimed my voice and I am gradually reclaiming more and more of my independent identity as I inhabit the Womanshan from a solo perspective and 
the business Peekabird Feeders and all aspects of my daily life are now under my independent governance. Quite exciting. Also, as we head into this time of collective decision making, and I'll be very interested to see what unfolds, I'm reminded more and more of the importance of sharing our voice, sharing our perspective. And not only does each of us possess a unique voice, but we also can help each other so much in unique ways. And I've been very grateful for all the help and support that I've received recently. And for each of my relationships, the help, the advice, the learnings, the perspectives that are being shared with me, of course, are completely unique. And as we all know, when we are given support and advice and different perspectives, we don't have to fully shift our own. We can be very grateful for those unique perspectives, but we can still retain our own. So it's a very interesting time, not only of collective decision-making, but also collective negotiation, how we can allow different viewpoints to coexist, co-evolve graciously. I'm the keynote speaker for a conference tomorrow, which is very exciting, and I'll be talking about sustainability, of course, in the context of Orokanoi, but also, of course, my favourite way of framing everything in the context of us as a species and how, as a species, of course, we've done incredibly well sustaining ourselves. And this is because of many of our unique skills and abilities to sustain And one of those, I think, is our ability to share and communicate. And particularly in my own life, that has been my job for the last 15 years. But within my own relationship with myself, of course, more and more, I'm being asked to communicate in a different way. And particularly at this time, it's a great opportunity for me to to really tune in to that other voice, that eternal voice, that presence within that we all hold that realm of the unseen and that timeless and infinite aspect of ourselves that is always within us and really to listen to that voice and be guided by that voice and of course for us all this is constantly a journey towards balance how can we in a grounded and supported way go about our physical and material life and accomplish our soul's purpose there whilst also making sure that we are connected and we are tuned in to the eternal and to that voice within us who really is there to support and guide us and give us what we need when in other aspects of our lives we we may not feel that same connection so I'm enjoying that process of going within and and tuning in at the moment and I really hope that you can too if that's what you need and I really hope that whatever is unfolding around you and whatever you're being called to do however you're being called to share your voice and express yourself that you feel really proud of the great difference that you are making I know that you will be and I'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow thanks so much kakite you're listening to blowing bubbles we're talking with Simon Noble we've seen lots of changes in society over the last few months what do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? Oh. Oh. I don't think anyone's ever going to forget this. Um, and even if we don't swing some change, people are going to look back fondly and remember the communing with their neighbours and the peace and the, and the time they had. 
but that's not the same as what's actually going to stick. And that's going to depend a lot on the government we get from the election coming up. And I suppose also on the pressures that we get from how COVID goes in other countries. Um, I mean, right down to if, if you know, if they're going to lock down in England, Britain again, they're not going to be able to import some things which aren't going to be able to be sold here. And so there's there's a lot of uncertainty and stuff that's still to flow through. Oh, there's such a good question. I, or maybe that's a good question, Sam, because I, I fear that we won't make enough of it stick or that a lot of it will too quickly go back to many of the old habits. I mean, the bus is emptied out. People are, other people, are people stressed at work again? You know, we're moaning about car parks again. I, I, I fear that not enough of it will stick. Um, yeah. So what lessons, do you, what lessons do you think we can take for those bigger sorts of questions you're talking about, the glaciers melting, so for, for climate change or for, for social inequity? Well, I, I think there's a clear sense that we could have a different um, economy, and I mean that in a, don't mean that in a financial sense, a different set of relationships between people. And I think if we can go a few more months without it, without everyone ending up, you know, with begging bowls on the on the street, we, we kind of prove that the what you described before is the New Zealand economy, this a contained economy, could actually could actually function for people and provide um, sufficient sufficient well being, you know, for all of us. The what we still haven't done is enough is adjusted our mindset. To define well-being in a smaller, more local, less material way, um, we, we, we might look back and think and be grateful for this because it's, it did feel a lot like practice for a longer-term, slower lifestyle. And and so far, if that's got any truth to it, then you know it was it was good practice, very good practice. I think one of the things that it's done for us is that it's shown that well-being which was introduced a couple of budgets ago, and everybody uh, sort of said, yeah, well, that's nice in theory, but show me the money. And now what this has really done is shown that we can make decisions on the basis of well-being. We're, we're putting the health of people first, and that has to be sorted, and the economy is is consequent on that. Yeah, yeah, true, absolutely true. The exactly also good analysis of the well-being idea, which even for somebody like me was, hmm, okay, and has now been shown, the money's been shown, so the thing's been shown to have legs. It's, it's actually a real thing. And what we have to do, I think, is find specific ways in which we can operate things, and I'm trying to avoid sort of saying the economy, we can operate things in a way that provides more well-being and more communal benefits, probably less private benefits. Um, yesterday, the, you know, I haven't listened to it yet, but yesterday there was an interview, an article, an, an interview on National Radio about with the Sustainable Business Council, the other, those two big organisations that represent big corporates calling for this way, calling for, fi- we have to find ways to make adaptations without 
removing, deleting jobs in big numbers. And I think I think we've probably learned that that is actually more possible than we ever thought. I mean, look at the price. I don't want to see the government regulate this, but the pricing of tourism experiences is something that we've shown. Um, even if we, even if we say subsidise the van so that people could go and enjoy the enjoy the experiences at the places, um, subject to the fact, of course, that um, using a van produces carbon emissions. Um, another one that was uh, we saw a model of a couple of weeks ago is a company in Dunedin that's been set up. It's a cleaning company that's set up to deliberately to not make a profit, to pay the um, living wage to its staff and return the profit to the community for, as they said, the guys um, said who were interviewed, to actually do good. So if the entire private sector or all the things that are conventionally done by the private sector were done in that way, that, that would certainly be a vastly different um economy, including where where capital flowed and where profit flowed and, and how tax worked. And I suspect that would be fairer. I think though there would there's a there'll be a lot of resistance to that because because people for years, for generations, people for centuries, um, there's been such a big reward to to successful entrepreneurship. People are talking about a, a reset or a, a recovery. How are you seeing the the opportunity that we have? Is it a recovery to a business as usual, or or is it an opportunity to do something else? Um, it it can't be to a completely business as usual. And actually, if you walk down the street, it clearly is different, but. The pace, the pace of change, is still very slow. Um, I walked down the street yesterday with my uh, my glass bottle to buy some milk and my you know my reusable bag. I was carrying a small but not super small parcel to post, and I was then going to get a bus into town and then bus back. And I was watching people and there were scooters, and I thought this is different. You know, my behaviour wasn't particularly different, but I do think that the, if you're out and about now, you're we are seeing different behaviours. I mean, electric cars. We we are seeing change, the kind of change that some some people are saying we need to make. We're seeing it come. It's almost like people are there's a latent, an underlying understanding that people are doing things that are different. More bikes, of course. Um, different pack packaging is changing in supermarkets and in the fish shop and so there's changes changes happening and some of it's being mandated or it's response it's a response to mandating you know the government looks like it might move in this area so the private sector does shift and it's marvelous to see um but i preferred it during covid when the buses are almost chocker as opposed to just a little bit full. Um, you know, it's good. It's good. It's really good to see. I, although, I always, if I've um, seen anyone listening who's riding a bike um, for the first time in a long, long time or and wondered why it's making a funny noise or feels a bit wobbly, have a look at your tyres. <laughs> There's a lot of people riding bikes around with flat tyres. Lots. Let's have a Blue Nile stay. 
so I have some questions to end the show with, and I've left it too late, so we'll have to hurry. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, I rode my bike from Kaguranga to Bluff over 30 days in 2018. I got, yeah, I was going to go with that. Fabulous solo time. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in, are in our team. What is the superpower that's got you into the mansion? Spotting weeds. <laughs> Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do. What for? Um, a, a more patient life. And what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? The great, glorious beauty and glamour of it all. <laughs> And what challenge are you looking forward to in the the next year or so? Um, I need to do to, 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 the challenge is to do more. We specifically actually is to do more weeding and restoration work in the northeast valley area. Are you going to get all the walking tracks joined up? Yeah, longer term project (laughs) (laughs) but now we've shown that these things we can change can happen we shut down a country in two days yeah we did so Simon why haven't haven't we built all the walking got all the walking tracks joined up yet see change is possible change is possible Mm. some good some good stuff there was another Green Party policy announcement this morning about looking at or was it yesterday, about hut and track, you know, upgrades. And why isn't that the economy? What's wrong with that? Is that people are out killing wilding pines? I mean, the sun rises, the sun sets, we killed a few more wilding pines, we all ate, and the world carried on. So that's a good thing. If we if we go weeding and killing wilding pines and building tracks and fixing tracks, what are they called? The green jobs. It's the green jobs, isn't it? What are the Whatever they're called. And we plant a billion trees. That's what we did that's not a bad, there's nothing bad about that. That would be what we did historically. We'll look back at that and say, well, we did that. It's about time we did it. Um, so I like, I really like, I, you know, there's a lot of prospects there on, on that work. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I did write some notes about this. Slow, slow down. And um, then I wrote, find satisfaction in, but then it stops because it's find satisfaction in something or near you or around you or in that great and glorious that I talked about before, whether it's a tree or a historic building, you know, or your family or a night out. So go deep, you know, find love and satisfaction in the things you are and the things you do and the things that are around you um yeah there you go thank you for that moira simon um the story you told about 
after your wife's accident and the uh, guy, the tall guy who rode her bike out carrying his pack, well, that will stick with me for the day today. <laughs> As I reflect on the links that we will go to just to help strangers when we need to. And I think, I think it's not even just about when we need to, it's when we want to, when we see an opportunity, when, when there's the opportunity for us to do good work. And maybe we should provide those opportunities more for people. Yeah, absolutely. And this is my point about the find satisfaction in because when you do that, if you're open, you there's there's a feeling, there's a mm. there's a rich, strong connection feeling that is added up against a little bit like driving down the coast and not being able to see the coast. So added up. Here we go that feeling takes the place of what we previously got from consumption or travel so, and if we don't do that we don't replace oh this is interesting this is really going somewhere like if we don't replace what we elute what we've lost from the conventional consumptive economy with the more spiritual we'll have stress and if we have stress we won't deal with the the crises because we'll be yep. dealing with stress so there we go that's pretty a good poignant. a good thought to end with thank you very much for joining us thank you let's go out to Coldplay Sunrise listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani, and in Opaho, Dunedin, Simon Noble. We hope you enjoyed the show.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.